Well, good evening, church. I can remember a long time ago <laughs> as a kid, and the excitement over the rain was uh, just just incredible because there were games that you couldn't play unless it rained. So there were those rain games. And so when it rained, you got to go outside and play the rain games. And uh, how fun it was. I think it's all about perspective. It's good to have the rain because it blesses us in so many ways, right? So we thank God for it. Thank you for being here tonight. Members and visitors, we are honored that you're here tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and awesome name. As we think about the Bible class that's coming our way, speaking of your creation, you are the creator, and we surrender to you. We bow down to you in our hearts. We give our lives to you. You're the great counselor. You know what's best. You know what is best. And it's amazing to know that the Creator listens to man. Thank you for seeing us as an important part of your creation. But not just an important part, the most important. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you'll bless us tonight as we worship you. And that, Lord God, you will remember our worship. We pray it's pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. It be thy will. Amen. We're going to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to talk about a man named Eliamus. He has two names, but we'll get to the other in a second. Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts in chapter 13 were set out as... Um, those two who were going on a particular mission, the Holy Spirit sent them out, set them apart, chose them of all who were there. And in Acts 13, this is considered Paul's uh, first missionary journey. And of course, John Mark and Barnabas join him. As they travel to an island of Cyprus, they, um, they find a Jewish false prophet whose name, which is interesting, was Bar-Jesus. And that, that name means son of Jesus. And yet, he was a false prophet. The other name he was given was Eliamus. And so, he's introduced to us as Bar-Jesus. And then Luke refers to his other name, Eliamus. And Luke, from this point forward, refers to him only as Eliamus. So, Eliamus was teaching a Roman governor, if you will, his official by the name of Sergius Paulus, who is described as a very intelligent man. I want to pick this up in verse 6, Acts 13. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And so this, this intelligent man understood there's something not right with Eliamus. So he summons for Paul and Barnabas because he wants to hear the word of God. You know, give me something to compare your teaching to. 
And in verse 8, the Bible says, But Eliam is the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, imagine that. This is what we're faced with every day. Right? We go out, we talk to someone about Jesus, and we try to teach them the truth of the word, and there's someone else trying to teach them the opposite. Right? If you've ever been in that situation before where you've gone out and you've, you've done a Bible study and you're studying with someone and you're trying to teach them the Word of God and someone else comes along and knocks on the door and they come in and they say, we want to teach you about God. And they bring a whole entire different message. The situation was, was very real. It is very real today where, where Satan is working and he has people out trying to convert others to that which is not true. In Acts 17 and verse 27, the Bible makes it clear that they should seek God if they perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. It makes it clear that God is near to anyone who wants the truth. So Eliamis wants the truth, or rather, excuse me, um, Sergius Paulus, excuse me, wants the truth. Eliamis wants him to receive false doctrine. Paul and Barnabas want uh, us, um, the council to receive the truth. But they're being opposed by such an evil man, an evil teaching. Verse 9, But Saul, who was also known as Paulus, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So I want to deal with this little sermon here that Paul preaches over the next few minutes. First question I have is, can we say what Paul just said? <laughs> look, look at verse 10. Verse 10, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Not in today's world. <laughs> you can't say that kind of stuff. right? But, but here's this message that, that comes along. You wonder, well, why is Paul, was he angry? Was he irritated? Was he upset? Why was Paul so bothered by the teaching of Eliamis? And then it comes to our attention, actually, it wasn't Paul. Look at verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him. It was the Holy Spirit. Right? It, it was the Holy Spirit. And that's really important because this morning we studied on Jude and we're going, wow, what language. That's the Holy Spirit too. And then we listen to the Bible and we realize that's the Holy Spirit. You see, God is serious about salvation. God is serious about damnation. God doesn't want anyone to be deceived. First Thessalonians, please, for just a moment. Second Thessalonians, excuse me. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 5. God wants His children to stand in the gap to oppose the work and the activity of the devil. Does He have us? Are we willing to stand in the gap to oppose 
the works of the devil. Verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Salvation. Please turn to Luke 17. Salvation is so important to God. I mean, we may not take it as seriously as God does, but God takes it seriously. The Holy Spirit takes salvation seriously. Have I? Have I forgotten that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? And, and, when, and when Satan is right there in your face and he's trying to pull someone away, our children, our family members, our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, are you willing to stand in the gap to try to help save their soul? Luke 17, and he said to his disciples, verse 1, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better... For him, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble? Wait, can we say that? Oh, that's right. That was God who said that. Salvation is the most serious and important matter that we'll ever face on this earth. See, because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But there is that free gift, right? There's the free gift of God as well. But the wages of sin is death. And God knows that. And God lives in that. And God wants to save us from death. John chapter, John chapter, chapter 16. John chapter 16. It's serious. And so here you have... This, this man who's trying to destroy the heart of Sergius Paulus. And God is serious about that. And through the Apostle Paul, he, he said some very interesting things about this man in very descriptive ways. The Holy Spirit, John 16 and verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, listen to what the Holy Spirit will do. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so, it's very serious, right? The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin every single day, church. Jude verse 14. The Holy Spirit is serious about sin. So when you go in Acts 13 and you start reading about what's going on in the household of Sergius Paulus, Eliamus, this, this evil man who is, is misleading Sergius Paulus, the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul and he's upset. Jude 14. And about these also Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. So here's the Holy Spirit saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And what did God do after Enoch's preaching? He destroyed the whole entire world. God is serious about sin. We have to be serious about sin. First Peter 4, please. In verse 17. Because, church, Satan wants all of us, each of us, to be destroyed. He would want it no other way but for each of us to be destroyed and to be lost. God doesn't want any of us to be lost. There's coming a day where there'll be a judgment. On which side of the fence are we going to be standing on? Verse 17, the book says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? kind of scary, isn't it? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what about grace? Wait a minute. Well, Lord, whoa. Why is it difficult? Wait, Lord, what are you talking about? And if it's with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? This is serious. So, all that to set up the account but Elias, he's a man who is full of all deceit. So there's a very direct information that's given to us saying that, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, saying that this man is truly working his miracles, if you will, and it's not miracle, it's magicians, right? It's a miracle, if you will, it's not a real thing that happens, it deceives the mind, it's magic. Is magic from God? Is magic a miracle? It's not a miracle. Forgive me for getting tongue-tied on that. It's not a miracle. It's evil. It doesn't come from God. You know, you start reading the Bible, you start going, oh, well, you know, yeah, I don't know why he did that, but that was magic. And I like magic. I better fix me, huh? So here Satan comes along and he's trying to mislead Sergius Paulus and he's doing some magic, right? I know parents are a little upset right now, but it's true. He's doing some magic, right? And the magic is making Sergius Paulus say, that man must be from God. 
And the Holy Spirit says, oh no, you are not the son of God. You're a son of the devil. And you're full of all deceit and all fraud. And listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself and is an angel of light. And therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their deeds. You think about Simon the sorcerer. God called him evil. You think about Janus and Jambres in, in the Egypt, and God called them evil. And you follow all the magicians all the way through time, and God called them evil. It's imperative, Proverbs, please, chapter 4, that we guard our hearts from all manner of evil. So Sergius Paulus seeks out men of God. Tell me the truth. I want to know the truth. Verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flows all the springs of life. Put away from you all deceit and a deceitful mouth. And put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. And let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Guard your heart. Ecclesiastes, please. Chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. In the verses 3. This is an evil. In all that is done under the sun. That there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men. Are full of evil. And insanity is in their hearts. Throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. It's serious. Right? We have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And the Bible says, turn to Ephesians, please, chapter 6, that we are supposed to guard our hearts from evil. And in particular, the evil that leads us astray, that leads us away from God. So, so go back to that scene and you see Eliamus speaking to Sergius Paulus and Sergius Paulus holding Eliamus in high esteem because he believes this man must be from God because he can perform magic. And the Holy Spirit has something to say about that. So Satan is very, very active and busy in destroying the world. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the tricks, right? The schemes of the devil, the tricks of Satan. He is full of trickery. He's a master of deceit. I've been deceived a time or two. How about you? I've been stung a time or two. How about you? Satan's good at what he does. And he's full of evil. And so you can see the heart of Sergius Paulus being led astray. And you can see why Paul, and I want you to recognize also, please turn to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 4, that Saul, at this time, Barnabas, uh, rather, um, the Holy Spirit, through Luke, refers to Paul, the Apostle Paul, as Saul. Maybe 
That's so you can get a good idea of what kind of look he gave Eliamus. Because that man, Saul, was a little bit different from that man, Paul. <laughs> that man, Saul, was out destroying the church and persecuting the people and dragging them from house to house in Acts chapter 8 and throwing them in prison. You can imagine what that man, Saul, was like. And that man, Saul, the Bible says, looked at Eliamus intently. So you can kind of imagine what kind of look that might have been. And God used him to save this man from all the wickedness and evil that was coming his way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has been blinded, or blinded the minds, excuse me, of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And, and the scary thing is, is that when a person's blind, spiritually speaking, it's easy for them to live in the lifestyle they live. Because they're blind. Can't see it. Right? Think about you and the way you lived your life before you came to Christ. When you were blind, you couldn't see it. And then when God opened your eyes, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. And we changed. Right? And Satan does not want us to change. Beginning to wrap this up, 2 Peter chapter 3. God expects us to live godly lives. Lives that, that bring honor to His name. Brethren, we are called to stand in the gap. Satan is trying to destroy the children of God. Trying to destroy us. He's trying to keep the world lost. Right? He's trying to keep them lost. And he'll use whatever he can. Whatever he has in his power at his disposal to mislead. Even the ones who are seeking the truth. But God is not far. When God sends you, church, go. Right? When someone asks you the truth, when someone asks you a question about their soul... Help them. Take it seriously. Because it's a very serious subject. In Second Peter chapter, chapter 3, beginning, if you will, at verse 7. But the present heavens and earth, by the, His word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Serious. Right? It's serious. The Holy Spirit is serious about sin. And since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness Looking for 
and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. It's serious. Let's close in Acts chapter 2, please. Now in Acts chapter 2, the souls who heard the message of God were in a position to make a decision, a godly decision. And in verse 38, he says that everyone needs to be baptized, right? Everyone needs to be baptized. We get that, and yet it is the most, it is the most argued against subject matter of all the subject matters in the whole Bible. Why? Salvation. See what Satan knows? Satan knows. You cannot be saved without it. So let's make this the most argued point, if you will, in the Bible. That baptism, though the Bible is clear, is not essential to salvation. (laughs) But it says it is. It's very clear. It's crystal clear. In fact, it's so crystal clear that he goes on to say and show us that even though they heard the message in Acts 2 verses, uh, the whole chapter, if you will, in in preachers preaching beginning in verse 14, and he gets the baptism, they're still not saved. Even though he tells them they got to get baptized, they're still not saved. And that's why it continues in verse 40, and with many other words. It wasn't just the fact their hearts were pricked, right? And they understood they had to be baptized, but they weren't baptized yet. In verse 40, with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved. From this perverse generation. You see, they're not saved yet. They heard the message. They repented. They're willing to confess the name of Jesus. But they're not baptized yet. They're not saved yet. So he keeps on preaching. He keeps on teaching. And he says, be saved from this perverse generation. And then, verse 41. So then, those who had received the word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. They weren't added until they were baptized. Right? So important. So what is Satan doing? Satan is working with Eliamus today. And trying to mislead us. And trying to cause some division in there. In our Bible studies. And we're trying to teach the world. Understand that Satan is at work. But if a person is seeking the truth. You'll be willing to stand in the gap. To help them to learn about Jesus. The Bible has not changed, and it will not change. So we've got to teach the truth. We've got to stand up against all fraud and, and all fraud. We have to stand up against evil and wickedness. We have to stand in the gap to be counted by God. Saul, otherwise known as Paul, stepped into the gap to be counted by God for the sake of one man, Sergius Paulus. The lesson is yours tonight. We'll come back, Lord willing, and pick up the sermon that uh, Saul speaks by way of the Holy Spirit uh, to save, to help Sergius Paulus to walk away from the evils of Eliamus. If you tonight uh, would like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism, we encourage you to do so. If you have prayers on your heart, on your mind, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.